Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. I think ultimately the, the internet is a pretty messy place. When it comes to trolling, you can't get rid of them altogether. You've got to find ways to cultivate community without feeding the nasty. And I think the number one way is to incentivize community leaders and the community itself to have a presence and a voice to set the tone. So it's not just the author of the article or the, um, the moderator of this community, you know, constantly acting as a referee, but setting good tone so that you have all the contributors helping. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media and the people who make it. Today we're going to be talking about commenting with Daniel Ha. He's the executive officer and co-founder of Discuss, the commenting platform. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel. I'm glad you're here. I'm really looking forward to talk about commenting. So tell me about uh, Discuss. How did this come about? You know, co-founding a, a company like this must have been something unusual, yeah, no, I'm I'm super pumped to talk about discuss and and, and comments and really how it plays into uh, online media as a whole. I spent a lot of time, many years thinking about this topic. To kind of underline that point, we are we are just about in our tenth year as a company or tenth year as a, as a product to be more accurate. So we've been around for some time, and my background is not you know as a blogger, and I didn't know much about online media or really journalism um, starting out. So this was a big learning experience for me. My background is actually in online communities. I spent a bunch of time personally on, on forums, message boards, writing software for those things, running them, participating in them. And it's one of the things that my co-founder and I had in common. We, we somewhat grew up together, met when we were 13 years old. So we were young, and uh, uh, one of the things we had in common to become friends was exactly that, just running online communities. And over the years, we kind of built our friendship off writing software for online communities. And uh, discuss. It only started out of the way. The way that I think about it back then was, you know, we wanted to find a way to build for that future of online communities. So we spent all the time building forums and message boards. But one of the things I believed was that online communities were certainly breaking away from these isolated message boards and forums. They were forming on blogs that had these, you know, somewhat hyper-focused interests. You'll go to a blog where someone's writing about WordPress tools or they're writing about high school sports, they're writing about vegan food, anime, something very hyper-focused. And you realize that the communities that some people cultivate on forums were existing within these blogs. You had a, you had a thought leader and essentially a community leader through the, the primary author. You had all these visitors becoming participants and essentially content creators. So we have this thesis that um, the future of online communities and, and how they would plug into the way that media online was evolving um, needed to fit with online publishers' interests. And more or less, that, that somewhat stayed the same, even if the product has changed a bunch over the last few years, because the product, you know, initially was this very simple, but I'd like to think, you know, elegant tool to help publishers engage their readers. So our thesis was, hey, can we connect these communities through a overarching Discuss network? And that was our start. It's changed a bit. So how does uh, Discuss now pretty much work with, uh, well, well, since this is a journalism podcast, let's talk about let's talk about news sites in general. Is it yeah. is it just a, a commenting platform? You know, how, how can people use it to sort of monitor and sort of lead that conversation that they're having with their, their audience? If you talk to anyone at the company today, the way we describe it is that, you know, we don't say discuss, it's just comments. We talk about discuss as an audience platform and a network. 
and it's one for the open web, um, something outside the monolithic closed destinations like like Facebook and Google, where publishers are increasingly hesitant to rely on. So our area is one audience engagement, we start with that, but we branched out to really think about what publishers care about. So when you start with engagement, you got to think about, all right, now that I have engagement, do I have tools to manage that engagement? And can that feed into automation so that I'm not spending a bunch of time and headache and money trying to manage this this user content? And ultimately, how does that feed into my ultimate goals, whether that's marketing, subscriptions, or monetization through advertising? So what we try to build in our on the software side of what we do is to connect those pieces together and provide that in a, in a pretty simple package. But, you know, I would say that the main thing that we focused on is building the network of Discuss. And because every user who participates on a website through Discuss is connected, we use that data and we use those insights to feed into our platform itself. The thing that we're most known for, um, if if you run across Discuss, we call it Discuss Engage, which is the popular common system that you'll see I see visit websites. And just as a matter of transparency, um, we use Discuss here at Federal News Radio. It's um, it's a tool that I use to help us monitor our comments boards. Also, as a matter of transparency, our sister station, WTOP, was using Discuss. You know, they started out the year by uh, basically turning off their comments. And and that's something that, that you hear about, that a lot of news organizations they get to the point where it's they, they see it as too much trouble, too much of a, a resource suck to sort of man these these comment boards to try to, to manage them. Do you see that as something that's that's a problem for a lot of uh, organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely true. We saw that sort of come up as a as a thing on our radar <laughs> almost immediately. The idea of internet comments sort of has a certain connotation to it, right? And the idea of dealing with user-generated content, whether it's comments on YouTube, comments on Facebook, or comments on your own website, I think it causes some heart palpitations with them. some publishers, and some publishers thrive with it. And you know, ultimately, you know, we know that can be the case, and I don't think that's a problem that we want to solve. I think it's, it's a very real trend that I think should exist. I think that publishers should look at what they're trying to achieve and whether or not comments or, in other words, you know, user-generated content on their own pages is something that they can actually feed back into their overall organization and their strategy, and, and some of them don't emphasize that. So our long-term mission is, is fairly simple in that way. We, we love that there is an open Internet, something that is sometimes challenged when you have a lot of consumers go to destinations and they consume all their content from that. But, you know, we like the open Internet and how diverse it is with publishers, and we want it to thrive. Yeah. You know, a big part of that is helping these online publishers succeed, and, and some of them are facing challenges on whether or not they can get comments at all, or can they actually manage the content that comes in from those comments. And right now, they're thinking about surviving, let alone thriving. So our goal is to flip that around a little bit and see if we can offer tools to uh, do more. Yeah, I guess it is sort of up to the um, the publisher to decide how they want to engage with comments and how do they want to engage with their audience Specifically, I mentioned WTOP, and they had turned off their comment board and decided that they would they would have a much better experience if they engage with the readers on Facebook and yep. Twitter, Facebook in particular. And we did not we decided not to take take the move mostly because we don't we didn't get the same volume of comments that they did, and because they were yeah. dealing in more general news. Um, you know, anything that had anything to do with the election, anything to do with Barack Obama or Donald Trump, it would immediately devolve into some really vicious exchanges around politics, around race, 
Uh, there were a lot of yeah. nasty racist comments that were coming in, and oh my god, yeah, yeah. And the fact is, you know, you you've got you got a couple of things. You got you got staff members who you know day day in and day out. That's what they have to deal with. They have to go in and they have to clean out those comments. They have to you know read stuff that, that is not maybe why they got into the job. And then you have to kind of look at well, what is what is the role of the newsroom and and their relationship with their reader. You know, I too believe that you know having an open internet is is important, and more often than not, that's something that you you want to encourage. You certainly don't want to like you know foster trollish behavior among your audience. You want to be able to block people if that that's what you need to do. It's sort of a daily struggle <laughs> for a lot of news news outlets to sort of figure. You know, I I said you know that we use discuss here. And, you know, there are really only two platforms that I kind of deal with as far as the comments with our, with our readers. And one is on Facebook and the other is in Discuss. And how I use that is you, you guys will, you know, there are settings in it where you can, anything that has profanity in it, it, it pulls it up and puts it in a special folder. And then you can look yeah. at it and, and you can make a decision then whether you want to approve it or delete it or block that person. And then at the other end of it, you know, it's just their general folder and it's me going back over the last couple of days to see what new comments have come in and, and then sort of make that decision there as to whether I ban people. And it, I really never even started banning people until this year. And that was really sort of in reaction to what our sister station had done. I had kind of thought, well, maybe I should sort of take a look at this and see how this goes. And, and what I ended up doing was a, a starting out by issuing... <laughs> for lack of a better word, a proclamation, both on Facebook and in our, in our, uh, <laughs> our uh, comment board and said, look, here are the rules. And they're sort of based on the rules of our company of, about engagement, about no profanity, no personal attacks, that sort of stuff. And, you know, we welcome comments, we welcome engagement with our readers, but, you know, this is the type of behavior that we're not going to tolerate. And that actually had a really positive effect. I saw a definite change in comments. I saw a, a huge change in, in Facebook. And actually a lot of people on Facebook, you know, sent us complimentary messages saying, I'm glad you did this because there's a lot of stuff on here that really is, is counterproductive. So now part of my day, which hadn't been before is paying very much attention to this. And it's helped me in other ways too. I can, I can see what stories people are commenting on, what they're interested in, you know, and there are, are trolls in there and we do have to block people sometimes, but you know, it's like you draw a line in the sand and, and you know, if they cross it, well, too bad that we don't want you in the sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> so you're out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I, I think in many ways you've, you've gone to the heart of, of what makes online contributions or online communities work. You have to set that tone. You, you called it a proclamation of the rules. And I, I think that's exactly right. Um, whether it's, it's comments on a site or if uh, you're running a Facebook page or you're running a message board, it's sort of like a it's sort of like throwing a party, right? And if you're not going to be the host and you're not going to set the tone for what the party's going to be like, is it going to be a frat party or is it going to be a wine and cheese affair? Then you're just going to have, and you don't control the guest list, then you're going to have everyone and anyone in there. And it, it doesn't have a tone, it doesn't have a theme. There are no guidelines to how to participate well. And every single good online community that exists, whether it's you know a subreddit or it's a website using Discuss for Comments or Facebook, whatever it is, you know they thrive because they have people um, doing what, what you said you got into, which is really paying attention, setting the tone, and creating a really good atmosphere for the best people to participate and really driving off people who are just there to create trouble. Yeah, and, and I could see, you know, if, if we had a greater volume of traffic and a greater number of 
readers and commenters that, that it could be problematic as far as how much time I'm able to spend on it. I could probably within, you know, 15 minutes to a half hour a day I spend maybe. And, but, you know, if it got very much more than that, then it would be kind of like, well, what 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 can I do to sort of to c- control this? Yeah. So what is it, you know, I, I mentioned that, that, you, that you have a feature where you can sort of set it in there for, for profanity. Are there, are there other things that people can do to use Discus, Discus to sort of manage their content? This has come up a bunch in the last few months. You know, you, you mentioned the news cycle today and uh, the political climate, and you have a lot of very passionate folks on, on both ends with very strong opinions. And uh, this is something that we're sort of in the midst of. I think that we have a unique presence in, in this world because we see that. We see these conversations happening on left wing and right wing and middle of the road sites. And we've heard from both users of Discuss and people who observe that there's a lot of toxicity out there and there's a lot of like troublesome content out there. So we spent the last few months really focusing on that area. So a few tools that we we have now and are releasing around you, you describe i think like a like a profanity filter we're improving that we have different tools that is a little bit less of a, a hammer when it comes to banning people we have different nuances to it like timeout so put someone you know in the penalty corner for um for some set period of time we have different types of banning options like shadow banning where you can block a user or ban a user rather and uh they can continue to participate but um, the only people that see their comments are themselves. So they're not incentivized to go create a separate account and jump back into the fray. But the thing that I'm most excited about right now is some of the stuff we're doing around toxicity controls, ways for us to use our own data and working with partners to pick up on good moderation habits and using that to suggest actions on what content may be considered toxic, uh, which ones are potentially hate speech or harassment or incentivizing violence. And those are tools that, you know, we want to provide to publishers because you're right. I think some people may, may spend a couple minutes a day managing this content. Some people may have a whole team um, working against this. And our goal is if, if you're going to find a way to get value from audience contribution, then you can't look at it as a pain in the ass and a, at a big cost center. So we got to find ways to make it a lot more seamless for publishers. Yeah. And I know one of the things we've talked about on the, the podcast in the past, just less so much about trolling in general, but more about specific attacks for certain types of journalists, journalists, you know, female journalists, journalists who are writing about controversial subjects or that... Uh, certain groups may may have a opposite political stance to and suddenly begin to target particular journalists. Is there anything in this that helps to protect, you know, people like that who are getting who are getting inundated with comments, negative comments uh, about the the stories they're writing? Yeah, I think so, and I hope so. We we certainly have the tools for publishers to get towards that. For example, the the data-driven reputation filters that we do have are the ones that pick up on hate speech. So publishers can can have the tools to kind of um, to combat some of those bad behaviors. I think ultimately the the internet is a pretty messy place. When it comes to trolling, you can't get rid of them altogether. You got to find ways to cultivate community without feeding the nasty. And I think the number one way is to incentivize community leaders and the community itself to have a presence and a voice to set the tone. So it's not just the author of the article or the um, the moderator of this community, you know, constantly acting as a referee, but setting good tone so that you have all the contributors helping. You have a whole atmosphere of positivity where you're not um, allowing folks to do that harassment. But 
when it when it gets down to it, it's it's really about giving good tools and insights using the data that we have since we are you know, have a good footprint across the internet today. One of the tools that you mentioned that I thought is really kind of needed is a sort of timeout or maybe a penalty box. If we're talking in hockey terms, I had it's like the very first few days when I when I began to start banning people, I got a phone call from some guy who I had banned. He was like really kind of taken aback. He's like, "Well, I was trying to defend," and I went back and I looked at the conversations, and what he had done was he had gotten into an argument, and they were just. It had nothing to do with the subject of whatever the article. It was just, it was him responding to somebody else, and I said to him, "I says that that's why you were thrown out. You were having a, an argument that had it was not substantive to the to the discussion. That was strictly you and this other person, you know, exchanging personal attacks on each other. And you know, he was banned, and and you were banned as well. And so we talked for a little bit, bit, and eventually I told him, "Okay, I will put you back in, but you know." I have my eye on you. <laughs> your your pr- probation, your double secret probation. So he he took that right. in humor and I, pu- I put him back in. But it's you know it's it's sort of being you know conscious of the conversations that are going on there and, and making sure that they're that people are actually contributing something to the discussion. Fortunately for us, I, you know, I mentioned before, we're kind of a our stories are we cover the federal government, but not in a political way. So so the politics is not so much part of the discussion. Actually, more so on on Facebook, where sometimes you get a, a wider audience as people share your stories, you, you'll see a lot more back and forth, like sort of political diatribes to the right and to the left about a story, which, you know, isn't even written in a particular <laughs> political way, but like they the, make they it sort, They sort of just wander in. Yeah, they yeah. sort of just wander. They overhear something, wander in, and, and yeah. now you have someone that wasn't necessarily a part of the, the target audience. Yeah chimed in with a completely orthogonal sort of statement or, or viewpoint, for sure. And I, I think that's that's the bane of a lot of communities, which is the off-topic nature of it and the fact that you're trying to have a really, you know, positive and highly engaging discourse with your target audience when you have people coming in to harass or to make make trouble or just kind of go in and, and not really fall in line with uh, what you're trying to, trying to do with the tone you've set. That makes it worse for everyone involved. Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's a lot of value in having people comment on stories and, and people discuss stories and whether you provide that platform on your website maybe or maybe in social media or something. I think there's value there. I think shutting the door to it is not the right solution. I completely sympathize with people who are overwhelmed and I understand, you know, we're not going to spend time dealing with this because it's just too big of a problem for us to crack with the resources we have at hand. But if it's yeah. something that you can put the energy into and that you have the resources to deal with, then I think there's a lot of positives in it. You know, we have to kind of get away from this whole the old style of what journalism was, which was this whole broadcast nature of it, that we that mm-hmm. we, we are the gatekeepers of the information. We're putting it out to you. It's the whole thing about the Internet is it's a it's a two way conversation. And if we're not going to yeah. listen to people, we're not going to give people an opportunity to comment on what you're saying then, you know, I think you're kind of missing out on a lot of the strength. I mean, that's how yeah. we, we sort of engender that engagement is listening to our readers and giving them that forum and letting them know that we're there. That's why it's important. You know, we don't do this as, as much. And I know we had a, an interview with Joy Mayer a month or so ago where she was talking about reader engagement where actually newsrooms go in to their comments, they go into their social media boards, and they begin asking questions and actually being a part of that discussion. And I think that's kind of an exciting possibility, again, if you have the time and the resources to do that. 
I think that's exactly right. I, I think the most successful, I want to say, news organizations, they, they make it more than just about informing or more than just the news because between different news outlets, even on TV, when you look at broadcasts, they differentiate with the, the production and the personalities that deliver the information. Otherwise, when you think about me and you as consumers, we have a lot of options today on how we get informed. Right? We can read breaking news in dozens and hundreds of uh, different places. So when you want to differentiate yourselves, differentiate yourself as a provider of that news or differentiate yourselves as a, as a content provider, you want to think about what makes it more than just the facts that you're delivering. Is it the personalities that you're delivering with or is it even the vibe and the tone that you've created with the community of, of audiences? And I think about you know an extreme example with this comes to mind because I just saw some news about it this morning around Bill O'Reilly, who is a who is a personality who has a very specific way of delivering news and has a target audience in mind, right? And you know, like like him or or dislike him, he has a specific approach and a community in mind and and engenders that target audience and, and builds that loyalty. And online, especially in a world where people get so much distribution through either search or through Facebook, I think publishers are, are especially challenged. Then you can tell me otherwise, but think about how do I get someone who's a, you know, quote unquote promiscuous reader who's just kind of bouncing around and, and is otherwise passive to make them become a little bit more of a of a return visitor or a, a regular or a low low user. I think a lot of it comes down how do you engage that person and um, how do you make them part of a regular uh, member, so to speak, of, of that site. Yeah, and a lot of times when people have the, the, the discussion about uh, reader comments, and I'm guilty of that in this very conversation, I immediately jump to the idea of let's talk about trolls, let's talk about you know the negative side of it, but the fact is, <laughs> is the reason that they're there is is to engender reader engagement and conversations with your audience and that's really the good thing about it and you know how can you use this tool to to build that audience and and foster that that dialogue that's kind of at the core of, of so many of the things that we're trying to do here in, in digital media is not just the old thing of just hey the, you know this is the news but you know sharing a conversation and like you said you know pulling in those people who are who are sort of incidental to who you are and re and they'll they'll recognize that oh wow these are people who listen to people like me that maybe you know if i if i come here i'll be joined part of the conversation so you know i see a lot of this the same people you know every day come in and comment on our stories in our comment section and on facebook and so, it, you know, and see how they, you know, I get a sort of a sense of what side of the fence they are and what particular issues are, are their hot button issues. And so it's kind of interesting. But at the same time, they also bring a degree of expertise. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in our audience. They, they, they read our type of stories because they affect their lives. So they're able to speak from that perspective and, and sort of enrich our content through that, through that conversation. So people read our stories. They're attracted to our stories through the comments on Facebook and on our website, but then they're they, then they begin to engage with other people in the yeah. same space. It sort of grows something that's sort of bigger than just reporting the news, which I think is really sure. cool. The ones who actually, you know, whether you're you're running comments on your site or really engaging with Facebook or not even Facebook, you can think about other consumer platforms, whether it be Twitter or. Yeah, something more nascent, uh, nascent on the media side like uh, Instagram. Once you do it right and are able to kind of build a presence with consumers in that way, I think you know it definitely takes time, it takes the effort, but uh, it pays off in terms of how you differentiate yourselves between other choices that consumers have to read.
Now, we've talked a little bit about the social media platforms, and what is it that you think that your platform is able to do that's different than um, like Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram? Yeah, well, I think I think in general, audience comments on sites is is evolving. It's it certainly changed in, in light of social media. The world we live in, the media world where, where things are constantly shifting and constantly evolving, kind of puts it in the forefront, which is almost everything that media has to adapt to is, is driven by what consumers choose to do. Um, we just have so many different options and so many different choices. Um, some sites just like comments as is, but many are thinking about new ways to actually build loyalty beyond just simple commenting. So we think about that a lot and, and try to build solutions in that direction. So I think the future is somewhat of a combination between something that is more consumer driven, like the discussion platforms, you know, whether it's Facebook or Reddit, and something that is more publisher facilitated. There has to be some sort of marriage there. I think the holy grail is to seamlessly combine the two without complicating it for the people who are finding a place to either consume or participate. Now, and, uh, yeah. Go on. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Yeah, I was, just, I was just saying, you know, ultimately that means that publishers need a way to extract more value from the discussions and engagements happening on a site like Facebook because the biggest difference to answer your question is is that um, we want to uh, we want to support publishers in a way where they control their own destiny. And what we've heard from many publishers where they think about, all right, well, I get my distribution through Facebook. I get my distribution through Twitter. Should I rely mostly on that? Between Facebook and Google, you know, those are amazing tools for publishers to better reach people and to better personalize their content. But you are at their disposal, right? And when when things change on the news feed or the way that Facebook instant articles the morphs and shifts. Publishers are are thrashing to to adapt, and I think many of them have realized over the last three years, especially the last three years, is that they need to find ways to control their own destiny. How to how to go and look at their readers and their audiences and say, you know what, those are my readers, and they're going to feed into my strategy and my business in a way that makes sense for us, and not so that we don't play in just a closed Facebook world. And that's the biggest difference. So you sort of touched on the business aspect of, of Discuss. What's the business model for it, and how can publishers use Discuss to sort of, you know, monetize, find different ways of revenue, you know, build their yeah. um, contact lists? Well, we started out as sort of a free product, um, and that, that's how we got our, our growth and our distribution, just having this very simple-to-use free product, and we're advertising-supported. So when you use it, it doesn't cost you anything, but we're going to run advertising on certain sites, um, the ones that we think make sense for advertising. Over the years, we've we really thought about how to align this with publishers. So with growing publishers, we have a product called Discuss Reveal, which allows publishers to manage the advertising and actually participate in the revenue. Sort of like if you are a you know larger video publisher on YouTube, you can participate to participate in the revenue generated. So we've we've you know generated and shared millions of dollars with with publishers using that. And our technology is really about working with all the different advertisers, advertising platforms that exist, and trying to help publishers make the most money by mediating between them. And it's such a messy world. We don't think we're an ad tech business, but we try to understand enough of it so that we can abstract that pain away from publishers. But more and more, we've realized that advertising is sort of a tough thing for, for some, especially smaller publishers, where they don't have the volume um, or the audiences to really make sense for advertising, but they have such high engagement and such high loyalty that they want to monetize in different ways. So we've Kind of new in the last few months, we've we've launched different versions of a Discuss uh, without advertising. One's called Discuss Plus, and one one is Discuss Pro. 
Pro, which is essentially a, a monthly subscription that we price for publishers where you can you know, turn off advertising, of course, but also run a couple of different features to grow in that direction. And one of the things that we care the most about that I'm pretty excited about that we haven't released yet, but uh, we'll do pretty soon is ways for publishers to make money that is not just advertising. So think, how do I funnel users into marketing flows for me, or how do I go capture users into premium content subscriptions, things like that. So we've been working with publishers pretty closely to figure out how exactly they think the next couple of years are going to shape up for them, and what can we do to make that easier. Okay, and maybe that answers my next question, is where do you see the future of uh, online commenting go going? I think online commenting... As is, uh, a lot of publishers will continue to embrace. I think many publishers that we've seen, they're trying to find different ways, especially if it doesn't work for them in terms of getting people to participate, finding different ways to present what comments are and how to get people to actually engage. And I think there's a couple ways that we've seen people do that. One is to lower the barrier for engagement, where it's not writing necessarily full comment, but doing lighter weight engagement, like sharing and, and, and voting and liking and you know, giving something a thumbs up, ways for, for users to basically raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm not just a passive reader, I care a little bit more. So the other is different presentations of commenting where you make it more fun. You make it less like writing a, a letter to the editor and, and more like a, uh, a discussion that happens within the community that a publisher goes and facilitates. So I, I think that commenting as a whole will stick around forever. I think that the way in the modes in which it has existed will continue to evolve and there will be different shapes that occur between that. And that's what we kind of realized a few years ago, that we can't really sit on commenting as a as a mainstay for media forever. It's really about what publishers really want to get to, which is engagement and how that feeds into their business. So we want to offer tools to do exactly that. Yeah, I think as long as we keep publishing and trying to reach an audience, I think the audience is going to want to talk to us. I don't think we can stop that. And I think there are plenty of tools out there and platforms to, to do it to help them do that. And we just need to figure out how to way that we can do it that is constructive for both of us. And then we both, both sides of the, the relationship get something out of it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's totally right. Two things I've seen in the news recently, one of which is, I'm not sure if, if, if you paid attention to the um, Facebook Instant Articles news yeah. lately, but a lot of publishers are, the ones who participated, you know, they've been they have the allure of you know Facebook helping the distribution and making a really fast mobile experience for, for their readers, but the reality is there's a lot of challenges there because it totally changes the way that they think about long-term audience retention and long-term monetization. And uh, that's sort of a, a wake-up call for a lot of publishers, too, when they rely on, on a single place to distribute, especially in a closed, closed world like that. And number two would be chatter about the way that people participate online. And depending on the platform, whether you're on Facebook or you know, Snapchat or um, a form or comments, you're going to adopt a different persona. And the idea that everyone wants to comment or participate with their Facebook identity, which for many people is sort of their canonical real-life self that has their baby photos and their high school friends attached to it, you know, to use that entire persona and identity to talk about you know, fantasy football, I think, is a there's a gap there, right? People people want to wear the right clothing for the right occasion. Oh, that's actually really kind of a neat way to think about it, because everything else seems to be pushing you to creating one identity. Now, we didn't even touch on the idea of anonymity. Now, with Discuss, when I sign on to that account, if I want to make uh, comments or something, I you know, I create an identity. How much personal information do I need to pr provide besides my IP address? to sign up for an account. 
Yeah, I mean, we think about that Disgust account as sort of your online community identity. You can attach as much as you want to it and then use Disgust to manage it so that even with the same account, you could be different people in different areas, and we want to offer readers better tools to manage that exact behavior because we know that if you're over here talking about, you know, wrestling and then you want to go and talk about charities, you're, you're probably going to adopt a different tone. You're going to be a slightly different person. I think the idea of having a single, you know, social security-backed verified identity to to be to participate online, you know, maybe not ominous, but I think it's really restrictive. You do? Okay. <laughs> I, no, I agree. I agree with you. I, I think there's, on one hand, there's, a, there's certainly a value to have anonymity, but then I think there's also, you know, coming from a, a position of, you know, I got to manage a website, you know, some Yahoo comes on and says whatever he wants to do and I ban him and then he comes on and <laughs> creates a whole new identity. Uh, it seems yeah. sort of counterproductive. I mean, is For it? Sure. It's, it's funny because you look at some. I, I'm not sure if you've seen this personally, but some sites that are using Facebook, for instance, if if the idea that you know someone going through Facebook with a verified identity with their photo and their family there and their profile photo disincentivizes them or discourages them from from acting a fool, <laughs> um, I think a lot of people have been surprised. I think that people who are out there to ruffle feathers, they absolutely do that with their Facebook accounts too. Oh no! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. If I've learned nothing from the most recent election cycle, is that people will say the most outrageous things, and you know who, exactly who they are, and it's exactly. pretty, it's pretty amazing. Fairly shameless about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, it's easy to divide people into camps and decide who's not your <laughs> friend anymore. I guess. Daniel, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can people find out about Discuss? Sure, they just hit the website, uh, discuss.com, D-I-S-Q-U-S.com. Okay, well that's simple. All right, thanks for being on. Thanks so much, Michael. Next time on It's All Journalism. People today online tend to build trust by seeing the unincentivized feedback of their peers. We don't tend to trust a particular brand. We don't trust algorithms. We don't trust all this kind of shady ownership and behind-the-scenes dealings. What we trust is being able to clearly see what our peers think about a particular product or service or experience. And so that's really at the heart of what we're trying to bring into the news ecosystem. In our next podcast, we talk to Chase Palmieri, CEO at Triveworthy.com, which he describes as a Yelp for news consumers. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a down and dirty guide to podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The What's Working in Washington podcast 
with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley. We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport. We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson. Not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.